listening to the New York Football Podcast with Tim McMaster and Dan Duggan. The first chapter in the legend of Daniel Jones has been written. Well, we'll see. This is Tim McMaster along with Dan Duggan, episode 10 of the New York Football Podcast. And Dan, it was certainly exciting as the Giants come from behind. Dramatic 32-31 win over the Bucks. We'll break it down as far as Jones' overall debut and Saquon Barkley's injury. We'll talk about the defense as well. So a lot to get to on the podcast. But we just have to start, I think, with the energy level and the excitement and the fact that this Giants season that seemed like it was spiraling the other way suddenly has a whole lot of life on this Monday afternoon. Yeah, I mean, it's remarkable to see the change that, you know, just making that one switch at one position can do. Um, obviously, it's the most important position on the field. And, uh, you know, this is why Pat Shermer made the change. I mean, anything that, you know, any thoughts he had going in were certainly validated because uh, obviously Jones performed brilliantly. But to your point, um, there was just a whole you know different vibe. I mean, even if they lost that game, if the Tampa Bay makes that field goal at the buzzer, it wasn't really going to really change the outlook because, you know, with Jones, everything is uh, a big picture view and, and the way he led them for what ended up being the game-winning touchdown, the way he hung in there all day, um, you know, just the, the overall sort of change in vibe uh, from having him making plays and, and hanging in the pocket and making some great throws. I mean, all of that um, kind of superseded the outcome. The outcome, listen, this team desperately needed to win, and um, you know that you know makes the feelings that much better. Um, but again, we're looking so much big picture this year, and um, and just that performance, that energy he brought, um, really, you know, so like you said, sort of changed uh, the the feeling around this team. Yeah, I agree. The field goal going wide right doesn't change things as far as um, the big perspective and his performance and how they are. You know where it does change things though. I think it changes things with the back pages of the Post and Daily News today, and it changes fans' perspective a little bit because if they still lose the game, it's, uh, well, the quarterback played great, but here we go again, another last-minute field goal, and this team lost, and they're 0-3. But none of that probably matters big picture, but when we look back on you know Daniel Jones' Hall of Fame career 15 years from now, we're going to remember that first start when he beat the Bucs. Beat the Bucks. Uh, anyway, yeah, they well, do... <laughs> Go ahead. And, and it's also a situation where, I mean, this team's mojo has been pretty bad in recent years. I mean, they've lost on last-second field goals three times, a 63-yarder, a 61-yarder, and they actually even lost in Tampa two years ago on just a 34-yarder at, at the buzzer. So... Um, you know, at some point, you know, the football gods had to even things out and, you know, maybe it's not a coincidence that that happened once, you know, they made this change and got Jones in there. As good as things looked at the end of the game and felt at the end of the game for this team, it was just as bad at halftime as the defense had given up 25 points at that point. Jones had looked good, but they hadn't really scored much, so it was kind of a a wash. And then you have Saquon Barkley going off late in the half with an injury. I mean, on a a scale of 1 to 10 at halftime, what was the hope level of this team, do you think? Negative 10? I mean, it was was as bleak as can be. Um, You know, like you said... Saquon Barkley going down. I mean, as much as Jones means, you know, for the future of this franchise, to lose Barkley is like, you know, you know, one step forward and two steps back because you know, he's obviously every bit as important as far as uh, you know what he brings to the table. Uh, so you you know you got him coming out to halftime with you know a walking boot and crutches. That's a deflating sight. And then you got the defense had given up a score on all six Tampa possessions in the first half, which is you know, that's hard to do. Um, so you're down 18 points. You have no Saquon. Your defense can't stop a nosebleed. It's looking, you know, unbelievably bleak. 
And then, of course, the first play from scrimmage in the second half, he had a, he hits Engram. He's off to the races for a 75-yard touchdown. And it just totally flipped the script because, again, we've seen how this team, it's just sort of been this, like, malaise they've been in where you, you know how that game probably would have gone. I don't want to make everything like an Eli Manning versus Daniel Jones, but it's sort of hard not to. I mean, you feel like, you know, had Eli been in there, that you know, they, they probably don't make that comeback. They, they might, you know, make it kind of close late cosmetically and they, and they lose by 10 and they can say, hey, you know, we hung in there and, and everything. But, you know, this kid just kind of, you know, lit a fuse and uh, and it was amazing because, again, when, when you're a rookie, you're going in that situation, you don't have your best your best playmaker. They're just, you know, coming after him with the kitchen sink and he was under fire all game, especially in the second half. Um, you know, to be able to withstand that is really remarkable. Yeah, it, absolutely. It was incredible. And that, that play you mentioned to Ingram obviously sparked everything. But let's go back to the early going as far as the overall evaluation of Jones's debut. He finished 23-36, 3-36, a couple of touchdowns, no picks. Uh, he also had the four carries, 28 yards, uh, a couple of touchdowns on the ground. Um, we'll nitpick a little bit later about fumbling. But early on, I thought right out of the gate, a lot of things came together that, that probably gave him some confidence and the team as well. I thought the play calls in the first couple of drives were pretty good, Dan. Early going, his first pass of the game um, was to Ingram, who maybe becomes his kind of security blanket here for the rest of the season for a play. And then his first, thirst, his first third down play, he goes off the back foot sort of a nice throw that he drops into Shepard. And it was early going that first drive, and, it, and they only got a field goal, but it felt like those throws – had to have given him just a little confidence in that first start where he's got to be all sorts of butterflies going on. Right, yeah. I think last week we had a question like, you know, who stands to benefit the most from Jones' insertion in the lineup? And I just, you know, I guess I totally misunder, you know, underestimated you know, how much kind of better he would look than Eli because I, I figured the receivers it wouldn't be significantly different. But if you even want to take just that routine first uh, pass to Engram and the touchdown, the same thing, the one thing Jones does that – is significantly better than Eli. It's just ball placement. You know, they both might complete the pass, but you know, Jones throws what they call a runner's ball, where these guys, for the most part, are catching it. You know, right in stride. You know, chest high. Don't have to lunge for it. Don't have to turn back for it. There was the one play, obviously, where Engram made the unbelievable one-handed catch. That was, you know, probably one of Jones's worst passes. But for the most part, uh, you know, he puts this ball on guys in, in a position where they can pick up yards after the catch. You know, with ease, and that's something that really should help a guy like Engram because. As fast as he is, he doesn't have sort of that short area quickness where he's not always like, you know, running wide open. It's more he catches the ball and his third, fourth, fifth, sixth strides is when he really pulls away from guys. So if, you know, if he's catching the ball with a little bit of a head of steam, that's where he's really dangerous. And of course, we saw that on the touchdown. Um, and then, yeah, that, that pass to Shepard, that's the type of thing he did all day, which was really impressive. You know, everyone wants to talk about mobility and, you know, the, the game winning touchdown or the, the first touchdown run. That's, that's obviously great. Uh, a lot of quarterbacks can't do that. But the stuff he did within the pocket was really kind of more impressive because, you know, the, the rush is coming. He's not just, you know, you know ducking and running. He, he's still trying to make a play downfield. That was a subtle little one where he just kind of, you know, stepped to the left and got the ball out there and, you know, let Shepard made a play. And he did that repeatedly. He had another, you know, really nice one where he threw it basically across the field to Darius Slayton for a big game when the rush was bearing down. Uh, it, it's really, I mean, it, it's we could sit here and just break down every throw he made. I mean, there was just one impressive throw after another. Um, and it, it's that's the type of stuff that should give you confidence going forward if you're a Giants fan. I mean, forget the stat line or whatever, because you know there could be games where guys you know run open, or it could be a bunch of plays like Engram's where it's you know relatively short, easy pass, and then he takes it to the house. 
But he made some tough throws. It's the same stuff we saw in the preseason where the placement was perfect. That touchdown pass to Shepard, I mean, you couldn't have placed it out there any better. I mean, that's the type of stuff that feels sustainable and also seems, you know, not fluky because, I mean, he's done this now consistently. He's doing it with a pass rush in his face. Uh, You know, it feels like he didn't feel like a rookie, so it seems like as he gets more comfortable, um, you know, he, he can only go up. So, I mean, it just for as far as a first start goes, I mean, you really couldn't have scripted it any better. And then there's the leadership factor, which is another thing. A young quarterback has to win over the locker room, has to win over the huddle, really. Um, and I thought the best quote, I get this from, from your story um, after the game on The Athletic, was from Russell Shepard. He said, that mother blank cussed one time. I ain't never heard him scream. He started screaming and cussing. He was like, let's bleeping score. And I was like, wow, this is our quarterback. I think that pretty much tells it all that in the he can step into the uh, – you know, into the huddle, and sure, he's he's fired up, he's swearing, but he's winning over the guys in that in that um, huddle, and they're thinking, okay, we can go win with this guy. And I think, as good as the throws are, that leadership is maybe even more important, big picture. Yeah, I mean, it's funny when you said you when you introduced that quote. I go, oh, boy, we're going to get an explicit rating on Apple this week because <laughs> uh, that was. Uh, that I was did my best to Russell. avoid that. <laughs> I mean, Russell Shepard. I mean, that guy has the gift of gab, so it was uh, he was a go-to guy after that game, but. Yeah, no, I mean, that's that's the hard part. I mean, you think about the situation that Jones came in. Sixth pick, getting crushed, you know, far and wide about, you know, the Giants taking him, that he, you know, he shouldn't have been the sixth pick, all that. Then you have to come in and, you know, be the backup to a franchise icon that, icon that the owner is saying he wants to play the whole season, and everyone's saying the plan is for you not even to play, and yet you still have to find a way to, to sort of, you know, make your presence felt, but you can't, you know, can't go too far because you don't want to, you know, cause any friction with Eli. Like he's just masterfully, you know, sort of managed it. And, you know, I did a big story on him last week at the end of the week. I think it was after we recorded any podcast. I don't think I'm repeating myself here, but I just traced his background through, you know, Pop Warner high school and college when he became the starter in all those situations, because he wasn't, you know, Eli Manning. He didn't step onto every campus as, you know, Archie's son and Peyton's brother and, you know, a five-star guy and, and all that. He had to, you know, work for it everywhere he went. He was a scrawny sophomore, you know, who took over as the high school starting quarterback. But, you know, everybody already had his respect because he was scrawny and he would, you know, lay his body on the line and and, and had that, that confidence. I mean, it's funny. His high school coach said his nickname was Swag. And, you know, nothing about him really screams Swag, I guess, until he gets on the field and he gets in the huddle and, you know, says, let's effing score. And, and then you see that there is a little something different. I almost think that works to his advantage because he's so kind of – cool calm and collected everywhere else but then you step in between those lines and you see that oh this guy's got some fire in his belly I think you know the other guys really you know respond to that like you know a guy like Russell Shepard who I said I mean he's always talking he's always yapping so to see hey my quarterback has a little bit of that uh, I think that really like you said it earns their respect it wins them over Um, of course you have to back it up with your play but the other thing is too it's not just you know you can't just go around yelling and screaming and and that's not a style but uh, I was talking to John Halapio the center and he said the thing that stood out really was that he was so calm. And, you know, of course, again, he got fired up here and there. But just, you know, in the huddle, he's not jittery. He's not nervous. He just had a presence about him. And, and that's, again, speaking to my, my earlier point about you're looking for long-term things, not just it's great they had one good game. You kind of have that or you don't. You know, that, that huddle presence isn't really something, you know, you can't learn. It wasn't going to something he's going to gain from, you know, men, being mentored by Eli, whatever it is. That's sort of intrinsic. And um again every stop along the way you know I talked to people in high school talked to people at Duke they all said that like he just from day one you know whether he was a you know walk on on the scout team or as a you know a tiny sophomore in high school he just had that presence 
and, and clearly, you know, it's, it's within him. So he carried it over to the NFL. So he, he doesn't carry himself, you know, like this big boastful guy, but he certainly has a ton of self-confidence. And, you know, once he got his opportunity, you know, he let it, you know, show and uh, certainly let it be heard a little bit too. Yeah. And while getting fired up in, in the huddle early in the game is probably beneficial at the end of the game, when he leads the drive, that calmness probably becomes more important. And at 75 yards in about two minutes that he led this team on the road. Was there something along that drive? I mean, obviously there's the seven yard run to put them ahead, but was there something else along the way in that drive that stood out to you? I mean, I think, you know, just the overall composure, because was, there was no, he wasn't throwing the ball for grabs. It seemed like he had a plan. I mean, I'm trying to look back at the drive right now. It was, you know, had a little five-yard pass to kind of get rolling, which is kind of typical in that type of spot. I think I think the best throw of the drive was the the 21-yard comeback to Darius Slayton on the second play, because that's a, A, it's a big-time throw. It was, you know, all the questions about arm strength and everything. That was, that was a rocket. But also, when you go back and watch it, Slayton isn't even out of his break. And that ball's already in the air, and he has to turn around, find the ball, and you know is on the money. He made a nice catch, but um, that was a huge play because you can't just throw five yard passes all, all day. There, you got to make a play down the field. So that that got him, you know, to midfield. So that was a, that was a huge play. Um, you know, found Shepard wide open. So they, that's just good recognition. I'd have to rewatch that to see how he got so open. But that was obviously the big play where you know you're at midfield and you know probably about a minute minute and a half left, and you're saying, oh, look, this get interesting. Once he hit Shepard for 36 yards, now you're down to the 12 yard line, and, and things got real. Uh, and then he responded again because, he, you know, they, they get down to the seven. It's second down. He throws two straight incompletions. So it sort of feels like, all right, you know, it's turning into a pumpkin here. It was, it was a nice run and everything. Um, and then the fourth down play was just, I mean, that is what he brings that, I mean, granted, Eli could have run that into that. The, the Red <laughs> yeah, Seas parted there. You know, yeah. Eli could have made it in there too. But I don't know. He would have been quite as decisive. Like Jones hit the back of his drop. You know, he looked up and saw nothing but green grass. We took off. There was no hesitation. There was no looking to see who's open. He just he just took off. Um, you know, I think that's really one where you kind of have to question Tampa. You know, their play calling there. I understand you're worried about Shepard, you're worried about Ingram, but how do you not have someone kind of hanging around the middle of the field when you've seen this kid's athleticism and his mobility? Um, you know, great play by Jones to recognize it. Good job by the offensive line. They sort of had uh, you know a very up and down day, but as I rewatched that play, you know, a bunch of times. They tried to run a little stunt with their defensive tackles, and Halapio and right guard Kevin Zeitler just totally snuffed it out. I mean, Halapio really drove his guy to the right, which you know created the crease that really made it you know easy for Jones to, to step up and and take off. So, um, you know, everything about that drive was was really good. I mean, that's you know that's kind of the stuff that legends are made of. But I I think I go back to that throw to Slayton. You know, it's uh, it's second down. Uh, early in the drive you know you, you got to make a play and, and that was just you know great timing great confidence throwing it to another rookie Slayton's a guy who you know certainly made his presence felt in his debut um so yeah I mean the whole drive was great but I think that play is the one that jumped out um just kind of showed his confidence his talent all that in one play does it seem like he's going to we mentioned Engram could be kind of that that um security blanket he could go to um and a staff from our producer marissa on engram actually flying on that 75 year yard touchdown uh, he hit 20.84 miles per hour is the fastest speed reached by a tight end uh since week 12 of last year and only the third time he's ever gotten over 20 miles an hour so impressive stuff there does but does it feel like it's only one game but you watch the preseason as well does it seem like in that receiving core there's a guy that that's going to stand out as his go-to receiver and obviously they're not all there yet. Golden Tate is still a couple weeks away. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think that, you know, obviously Engram, uh, you know, emerged uh, yesterday. But, you know, Sterling Shepard is sort of the, you know, trusty kind of security blanket. I think any quarterback likes to have a guy like that who can, 
you know, just always kind of work open underneath. It's third and six. He'll get you seven yards, that type of thing. Obviously, can make a big play here and there. And then Golden Tate is obviously very similar to Shepard in the same regard that he'll he'll make you know plays that makes a quarterback life you know life easier. You throw him a four yard pass and he'll get you six and, and little things like that. But I think the guy who who like I just touched on really emerged is Slayton because you look at this receiving core. You know, I eventually I still think they're going to get Ingram down the field. Even even as you know his big plays this year have been sort of on shorter passes and he runs with them. I don't know why he hasn't been able to really be unlocked as a, as a threat down the seam, especially when you see tight ends do it to the Giants and make it look so easy, and, and he's more talented than a lot of these guys that are doing it to the Giants. Um, but, you know, Shepard and, and Tate, you know, they might pop a big one now and then, but they're not downfield threats. Slayton is the guy who, who has that speed. You know, he's a 4 3 guy. Um, you know, looked really good in the spring and then really missed all of the summer. Um, you know, he had the one kind of cameo in the, the Bengals preseason game, but otherwise the hamstring injury really – um, sort of delayed his development, but certainly didn't hold him back uh, when he got out there. I think he's the guy who, you know, you're looking at that third receiver spot. You need someone who brings, you know, something a little different, a, a downfield threat. I think he could be that guy. I mean, Cody Latimer, I've just never been, you know, a big, big proponent of his. You know, he's made some plays downfield in his in a short time here, but Slayton is a rookie and a lot more upside. So if if he kind of keeps developing, you'd much rather see him really grow into that role rather than you know have Latimer you know, make a few plays here and there. And then at the end of the season, you know, he's a free agent again, you know, whatever. I think Slayton's a guy you, you'd hope can really build and, and build with Jones. So um, he's the guy who probably is the most upside in that receiving core. All right. If we're going to be critical and we should overall evaluate the performance, he did fumble twice and the team lost both of those fumbles. Um, he didn't throw an interception, but the fumble's just as bad, really. Um, when you look at those plays, is that something where – he held on to the ball. You know, what went wrong for him, and is it an easily correctable thing because he's a guy that's fumbled a little bit in his career, his early career and his college career? Right, yeah. I haven't had a chance to rewatch the game. You know, I flew back this morning and been writing all day. But as I recall, I feel like one of them, he kind of had no chance. I think uh might have been sold or got beat clean. And, you know, you get hit by the blind side, you know, it's going to happen. It's, it's not really one you can put on the quarterback. I think maybe the other one, he might have held the ball too long. But, again, there were so, so many crazy plays in that game. Right. It's, it's, like, unbelievable to – uh I couldn't even remember the order of some of the drives because it was just so many swings. I mean, they because they get the ball back on the Conley interception, and then he gives it right back when he got stripped from behind. Uh, so, again, they're all kind of running together in my mind. But uh, it's definitely a concern because even in the preseason, that was sort of the one, you know, the one knock on him. I mean, he had three fumbles in the preseason, gets the little uh, cameo late in that Dallas game, fumbles. Going back to Duke, you know, he, he put the ball on the ground a decent amount. Uh, you know, it's certainly something – you can work with and you know it, it feels like fumbles are a little bit more forgivable than if you're just throwing like bad picks or something but at the end of the day like you said the end result is you're giving the ball to the other team um so you know it, it's a bit of concern i think that there's going to be this sort of you know just growing pains and, and, and he's going to feel things out you can't always make a play like it's great that he he extends a lot of plays and, and even the strip sacks really weren't a result of this but he took a big hit one time when he, it's like sometimes the Eli Manning check down is the wise thing to do if you want to play for 16 years or, or throw it away. Um, Cause I think you will see that sometimes, you know, you, you scramble around too much. You're going to get yourself into trouble. So, and there's a fine line though, cause he, he, bring, he brings a lot with that improvisation and, and made some big plays. So it's, it's hard to, to rein that in. I think that's just something you get a feel for. And no matter how many years you're in the league, you're going to, you know, toe that line wrong sometimes. But um, you know, that's the thing with the ball security and stuff, you know, once in a while, I think you have to realize, all right, I've been holding the ball in the pocket here for a little too long. Someone's probably going to be coming from behind me, so it might be time to just take the check down or or, uh, or take the sack if the, if the heat's really coming. So um, definitely, if you know, I don't think it's a nitpick because it's, it's been sort of a trend, 
but it's also it's outweighed by all the other great things he did. I mean, he threw one pass that you know definitely should have been intercepted. You know, it was like a third and fifteen. He's trying to make a play. It's the same thing we've screamed, for, you know, at Eli for the last three years for not doing. So, you know, you, you kind of live and die by some of the things. And and you know, again, you just hope that at the end of the day, the ledger uh, tips more towards the you know the positive. It certainly was the case on Sunday. Um, but yeah, he'll have some bad games. I mean, you go back to his Duke career, he had bad games there and he had good games there. And then, you know, every quarterback kind of has that rookie quarterbacks are definitely going to have that. But, you know, as far as a, a first start, um, that was definitely a heck of a lot more good than bad. Yeah. And he did certainly get hit more than you'd like to see, uh, five sacks, 11 quarterback hits. And, and you mentioned the offensive line being up and down, but some of that, I think you mentioned it's, it's on him for holding the ball too long. Now the offensive line also didn't um, create too many holes either. Let's move on to the running game and Saquon Barkley left the game. We said second quarter, it's a high ankle sprain. He's going to be out. I guess they're using terms like several weeks or maybe even four to eight weeks could be like a couple of months before he's back. Um, it was interesting. I thought on Sunday that even when he was in there before the injury, he just had 10 yards on eight carries. Now, is that typical Saquon gets stuff, 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 then he breaks a 60-yarder and he never got to that? Or is that there was nowhere to run because this line was not um, creating any any openings up front? Yeah, well, I mean, you always he's always, you know, a, a chance that he's going to break one of those long runs. So, yeah, no matter no matter how bad his game is going, you know, that's always a possibility. But, no, they, they had a, a great plan. They, they clearly devoted a lot of resources to stopping him. I mean, they didn't make any secret of that, Bruce Arian said. You know, the key is stopping Saquon and then, you know, making Jones throw. Obviously, that came back to bite them, but it's still a sound strategy when you're, when you're going against a rookie quarterback when, you know, you got, you know, arguably the best running back in the league. But, no, I mean, this is a good defense, too, because they did it to Christian McCaffrey a week ago. Yep. Um, there was one play, I remember, I think it was the play when Saquon got dinged and, and he must have got checked for concussion, uh, but came back in the game where it looked like the, the hole was there and then it closed in an instant. Uh, instant. So um, they, they were flying around. Um, you know, it, it was just there was nowhere to run. I think, the, you know, the line definitely had their roughest game uh, of the season. Um, but, you know, that again, that's just an, another team is going to look at, uh, we got a rookie quarterback. We got making his first start, and we got you know this dynamic playmaker. We're going to devote all our, our resources to stopping him. That'll change now because certainly you know Saquon's going to be out, and, and Jones showed so much that uh, I think you're going to make him beat you on the ground now, especially without Saquon. Um, but yeah, it, it was just kind of an, it wasn't his you know his, his finest game. Even you know before the injury, he had the drop on which should have been a walk-in touchdown. That was you know super out of character. Tried to go a little too much Odell there, I think, in, in one hand, one they didn't need a one hand. Um, but listen, he's, he's allowed to have, you know, one bad game out of every 20. So I guess he got that one out of his system. Just the real unfortunate part, um, is the injury because, you know, who knows in the second half what he might've done and and obviously didn't get the opportunity. Now, as far as treating this injury, obviously, uh, high ankle sprains are things that can linger and take a while. So, um, you know, say they start winning games here and they get back into a spot where you're like, oh, wow, this team you know, can make a run at possibly somehow finding their way into the playoffs. Do you think they take any chances with him? Because he's going to push to play. We know that. He's going to want to come back. So how tough in your mind do they need to be in saying, no, Saquon, you're not playing this week. We have to make sure you're good. Even even if they could really use him as far as on the field and where this team is this season. Yeah, no, I mean, they have to be disciplined about it, um, you know, because he, he said he had the same injury in college and only missed two games. I, I find that hard to believe that he had a high ankle sprain and only missed two games unless it was, you know, really minor because these injuries are, are at least four, usually six, and sometimes eight weeks. I mean, A.J. Green hurt his very start of training camp, 
and is still out. Olivier Vernon uh, did a high ankle sprain at uh, the start of camp last year, and he was out till week six, I think. Scott Simonson did a high ankle sprain. Now, granted, he's not at the caliber of those players, so they could afford to put him on IR, but they put him on IR because they felt there was a long-term enough injury. Um, so I don't think he's going to be knocking down the door to get back in two weeks, but let's just say it's four. I mean, you got to err on the side of caution, though. It, it, the other problem with this injury is that it lingers, and you can re-aggravate it. So what's the sake of rushing him back, you know, four weeks from now, and then it happens again, and then you miss it four more. Just like you know, do it right the first time. Way too important to the franchise to risk anything more serious. I mean, listen, uh, no one probably wants to hear this, but Odell, when he hurt his ankle in the 2017 preseason, he feels like now, in hindsight, that he rushed back. And you know, granted, he got hit in that Chargers game uh, during the regular season, and I don't know if it would have mattered if he had a healthy ankle because the way he got hit. But he thinks that the previous injury, you know, led to that. So again, you just you just can't take a chance with with such an important player. And you know, to your point, like if they're in the playoff race, it'll become a little harder. But let let's see them get there first. I mean, it was definitely a, a good win, very impressive win. They got some tough games coming up. Um, I don't think this is a franchise that still should be making short term decisions. You know, this this defense is still you know a major major question mark. So um, you know, if, if they're hovering around 500, that to me, isn't enough that we got to get Saquon out there. If it's week 17 and it's the difference between, you know, going to the playoffs and going home. Sure. Maybe you, you kind of risk it then, but I think they have to, again, take the long-term view. Don't mess around with this. Cause again, it's an injury that can linger. Um, but I, he is, he is a freak. So I wouldn't be surprised if, if he's <laughs> on the, the, the lower end of, of the spectrum. But I mean, even the, you know, the, the weeks being thrown out, it's like four to eight. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big gap. I think, you know, it's, it's hard, it's hard to say today how long it's going to take an injury to heal. So, uh, but it's safe to say, you know, I think we won't see him for a month uh, and then kind of just reassess, you know, where things stand with the team, with him. But I think the ultimate decider should be his health. Don't, don't worry about playoffs or anything else. You need to worry about uh, protecting your, you know, your major investment there. Before this game, we were talking about how the offense would change with Daniel Jones in the game as opposed to Eli Manning. So how does the offense change with Wayne Gallman getting the majority of the reps instead of Saquon Barkley? Does I mean, he can obviously not do as many things as Barkley. Barkley's so good out of the backfield as well. So wh- what do you think they do differently offensively? Yeah, I mean, that's going to be interesting because the, you know, they've built an offense around Saquon Barkley. So uh, Jones certainly changes the d- dynamic. You feel a little better about the passing attack, and you'll get Tate back uh, after this week. So um, it, it's a little scary that you're going to you know basically have to ask your rookie quarterback to carry you now is one thing when he had to kind of carry his weight but you had Saquon to to take some of the heat off him I mean for a half Jones showed he could do it because you know Saquon wasn't out there in the second half when uh when they, they you know made that comeback happen but uh, yeah I mean Gallman it's he's a nice backup you know I, I like him um but it's a significant downgrade anyone you know would be no one no one has a back that can can replicate Saquon sitting on their bench so that's uh that's sort of a given um yeah certainly nowhere close to him in the passing game nowhere close to him as far as you know just the ability to you know hit a home run on a on a you know a little runoff tackle or something like that I mean those parts of the offense are are going to be tough to replace but you know what I mean if if he's able to just you know move the chains and, and and you know run hard which he tends to do and you know four yards of carry will, will work and uh you know keep Jones in manageable situations and, and hope he can you know just kind of continue this magic but um, yeah, it's, it's, you can't understate, I mean, how big you can't overstate, sorry, how big of an impact this is going to have on the offense. Cause I mean, this is arguably the, the best offensive player in the league. So, um, no team is built to withstand losing a player like that. Um, so yeah, it's going to make things very difficult. I mean, really couldn't put Jones in a tougher spot here to, to be without Saquon for his, you know, first stretch of his career as a starter. Um, so yeah, it's going to be very interesting to see how they do try to manage that going forward.
All right, I'm reading a lot of things today about how big the defense stepped up in this game and, and really made a difference. And I'm just having a hard time with it, Dan, because there's a defense that gave up 25 points in the first half. And I think you should be judged on your overall performance and not um, the second half. You mentioned the Bucks scored on all six possessions in that first half. And beyond that, yes, they got the ball back so that Jones could lead that drive to win the game. But then the defense allowed the Bucks to go right down the field for a 34-yard field goal attempt, which should have won the game. So I feel like, yes, there was moments, but this defense overall was bad on Sunday. Um, do you agree with that, or, or do you think there was enough that we should feel decent about the defense? No, yeah. I mean, how, how can you feel good about it? I think they're good. giving up the second most points in the league, um, and only the Dolphins are worse. So, I mean, that tells you where you stand right now. I mean, second week in a row where, yeah, it's been a little better, and it's been a lot better in the second half, but, you know, you play you play two halves, and you can't just keep, you know, you know, turning things around in the second half. You, you know, dig such a deep hole. You're not going to always be able to climb out of it. Um, and, and, you know, you'd feel a lot better if, listen, the first half was a disaster. They really did buckle down the second half, only gave up one field goal drive that, you know, wasn't a big, you know, wasn't, didn't seal the game or anything because the Giants were still able to, to win with a touchdown. But after that field goal to then, you know, give up such a big play there to, to put the Bucks in field goal range. And I mean, goodness, the, the Bucks, how they, you know, sort of just mismanaged that, taking the delay game. I guess, you know, Bruce Arians said after the game, for some reason, he said he intentionally took the delay game, which would make no sense. Apparently, he kind of clarified today. And I think there was, you know, he might have just said that to cover for somebody because it was clearly something was wrong operationally and they ended up they they, they took the delay game there but um i mean they were at the nine yard line and it took them you know all of about 30 seconds to get down there that that's that's pretty disastrous from the defense it's one thing if a guy you know we've seen this team has uh, lost on 60 yard field goals that was a you know an extra point and they you know they definitely got lucky that tampa bay's kicker um sort of a disaster uh yesterday the missed an, uh, missed a point after and had another one blocked but uh, yeah, I mean it's it's hard to feel great, you know, about this defense. You know, they they did have the interception. Uh, you know, Michael Thomas made a really nice tackle on a, a third down play to get them the ball back for the game winning drive. But I think the last taste uh, in, in your mouth is is Jenkins getting beat like a drum by Mike Evans all day, and then you know it's a forty four yarder in a, in a clutch situation. I just don't know how you get beat deep there. I mean, what what else are you kind of guarding against? So, um, you know, there were definitely bright spots within the performance. Um, you know, I think that some of the rookies really took a step. Like, you know, I mentioned a couple of times now, Conley had the pick. Dexter Lawrence, he's the one who blocked the extra point. He had a sack. He's actually the one who hit Winston's arm on that weird play where it was clearly an incomplete pass, but they let it go and it ended up getting Ogletree hurt. And that was kind of a, a Keystone Cops type play at the end there when he pulls up lame and Peppers knocks him over. But that was uh, that was Lawrence at the start of that play making something happen. Uh, Zimenez had a sack. He's, he's kind of coming on. Marcus Golden, and he had two sacks. He's really um starting to show something it was a lot of these former cardinals they've brought in haven't done a heck of a lot but uh he looks like a keeper there and um and, and you know Dondre baker wasn't you know showing up all over the, your screen that that's a, a nice change because he had been in the headlines for all the wrong reasons the first two weeks but uh jenkins especially after calling out his teammates the week before that's a pretty rough performance um and uh yeah that <laughs> that that end of that game really would have had a different feel if uh, if they had made that field goal. Just to, when I say you know looking at the defense, it would have had a different feel. Like I said, I still think Jones's performance was the story of the game. Um, but yeah, we'll see. You know, maybe you know the first wake up call against Buffalo didn't take. Maybe this one will, and, and they'll start playing a little better. But you know, it's still it's about talent, and, and this unit still lacks a lot of talent. So I, I think it's going to be a struggle. Uh, you know, most of the season.
The numbers for Jenkins, yeah. Eight catches, 190 yards against him in the three touchdowns from Michael Evans, who just dominated. The first half, he had seven catches, 146, and, and three scores. Winston threw for 263 in the first half alone. Uh, I mean, they just really lit him up. And and you mentioned DeAndre Baker, and you're right, we didn't see a lot of him. Although early in the game, there was definitely some more blown coverages, which seemed like they've been kind of a theme. Um, and then those stop after halftime. Um, so, yeah, the team, I guess we should give some credit to the coaching staff for, for their adjustments at halftime. We could be critical of their game plan going in, but that's two straight weeks where – there are some serious quality adjustments by this coaching staff at the break. One, it's funny because one, like one of Shermer's weird bugaboos, he hates the term halftime adjustments. He thinks it's like a you know a total myth, and he's like you're making adjustments all the time. But I mean, if you look at what this team has done first half to second half, especially the last two weeks, I mean, they have been getting lit up in the first half. And then all of a sudden, the second half, you know, they you know hold the team down, give give the Giants a chance to come back. Now. Shermer said the calls haven't been that much different, so maybe it is just a, a matter of maybe it's not adjustments. Maybe it's just you know they're going in the in the locker room at halftime and getting the guys fired up somehow, and, and that's the difference. I don't know. I mean, I I'm curious to go back and rewatch this game to see if it's sort of a, a lot of times there's like a push pull effect. Like maybe Baker was quiet because maybe they're giving a lot of help to him, and then Jenkins gets exposed because he doesn't have any help because it's all going to Baker's side again. I'll, I'll be curious to watch that. Um, you know, it's a tough spot for Betcher because you have a rookie corner who, who desperately needs help. But then you have Janoris Jenkins, who's, you know, arguably your best defensive player, but he's matched up against one of the best wide receivers in the NFL. Leaving him on an island one-on-one all day, as we've seen, is, is a tough assignment. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if they made any crazy adjustments. or uh, You kind of knew Winston is not the type of guy who's going to go out and play four clean quarters. He's going to give you some chances to make plays. I mean, the interception he threw was just a terrible ball. He threw it, you know, 10 feet over Evan's head right to Conley. Uh, that was in a big spot. Um, but no, I mean, the, the the resolve and that type of stuff, maybe the coach staff gets some credit for that because the guys, you know, that's the one thing that's kind of marked Shermer's tenure. They don't really tenure. They don't give up. So I'll give him that. I'll take his word that they're not coming out at halftime and drastically changing things. Uh, but I will be curious to go back and watch and, and see sort of, you know, what did, you know, uh, turn the tides there uh, defensively in the second half. All right, so my, my idea before the season started was every time the Giants win a game, we were going to give out a game ball um, just like they would in, a, in the locker room after the game from a head coach. It took a while to get there, but we finally have a win. Um, so, I mean, there's obviously a, a guy you could give this to. Feel free to do that and give it to Jones or somebody else, but who do you give your game ball for the Giants' first win of the season to, Dan? Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to get too far uh, off the beaten path on that one, especially you know, if we if we do this all season, maybe at the end we'll want to tally up who got the most. So I don't want to get too uh, too unconventional. I think you got to give it to uh, to the rookie quarterback who you know he's one of those guys that the Elias Sportsboro had a, bureau had a field day yesterday with. You know, the first guy to do this, this, and this in his first start. You know, like he had so many just crazy combinations with 300 passing yards, two passing touchdowns, two rushing touchdowns. I mean, it was it was, it was just a remarkable day on a lot of fronts and. Um, sort of bring it full circle. It was funny because uh, he gets called in, you know, he gets the game ball and, and all the teammates start demanding like speech, speech, like they want some, you know, big, you know, win win for the Gipper speech. And that's just so not Jones's personality. So he says, you know, no speech, Giants on three, blah, blah, blah. And even that, you know, like endeared himself to guys. It's just like, he's just, he's doing everything right. All the, all his teammates are just really responding to everything he does. Like they, they thought that was, you know, kind of funny and, and just kind of true to form. Um, so yeah, so he, he he took that in stride, you know. After the game, he was very composed. Back to that, you know, the the part we see all the time. I guess that's how he is, even behind closed doors, for the most part. That's what his teammates say. 
Um, of course, you know, with some exceptions on the field, but um, so he gets he gets Shermer's game ball and he gets my game ball as well. All right, fair enough. And that's going to do it for us pretty much. But if you want to hear more, Dan, well, you can come back to this podcast uh, with a subscription to The Athletic later in the week as we'll get you ready for the Redskins game. This episode was free. The next one, you have to have a subscription to The Athletic. But, Dan, we'll be doing some other podcasts this week. Check them out on Football Fact Check with Dave Damashek. Uh You excited for that one, Dan? Yeah, I mean, it's, this podcast network is growing. I'm doing a fantasy one on Tuesday because you got to talk about the, the Daniel Jones factor. So it's just uh, good. I got my mic plugged in and, and ready to roll. All right, good stuff. So check out those podcasts as well. As Dan said, at the, the network continues to grow here at The Athletic. You can also follow him on Twitter at ddugan 21 And again, later this week, we will have a full preview of the Redskins game coming up. It's Daniel Jones' first home game at MetLife Stadium. Should be an electric atmosphere for that one. So come back and listen to us later this week.